0: What's up guys welcome back to another edition of build show podcast. That's right. This is my weekly time to get together with you guys and go deeper. We just don't have enough time on those YouTube videos, but we do today and we got a great topic. We're talking about setting customer expectations. This is not an easy topic and I'm actually going to pass the mic here in a minute to Steve and Tim. Tim is my VP of construction. Steve is my COO. These guys have a lot of experience in this department and we've got a lot of wisdom to learn from them. But before we do that, I want to say a big shout out to today's podcast sponsor, Aqua. If you're not familiar with these guys, these guys make a house hydrant, a hose bib, that's a frost free one, but it's unlike all the other ones you've seen in the past. This one has a beautiful form and function to it, where you can't even tell when you walk up to the house that it's a hose bib because there's a door that opens and then you're gonna insert your aqua hose bib end to actually turn on the water. Now here's the deal, they fabricate everything out of stainless steel and I did a test a couple years ago uh, that I actually published a video on where I put, I don't know how much, like 50 or 75 pounds of dry ice in a chest cooler. And then drilled through the cooler and installed a couple hose bibs, a couple kind of standard frost-free hose bibs, and an aqua hose bib. And I did a time-lapse camera on the hose bibs in the in the kind of frozen area, hooked up water to them as if they were coming from a house to the outside where it was really cold. And crazy enough, over time we saw a lot of frost build up on the inside and in the on the warm side. Because the cold was radiating through the metals, the brass on the uh, on the standard hose bibs, or certainly copper, was bringing that cold into the house, and there was giant amounts of frost that were accumulating on the on the inside of the metal. On the other hand, the stainless steel, as you know, stainless steel is a terrible conductor. You'd never wire your house out of stainless steel. As a result, very little of that heat was transferred. In this case, cold transferred to the inside. So long story short, this is a better-made, beautiful, and very, very functional hose bib. Last thing I'll mention, too, I really like how they've got various sizes. You can buy them in 2-inch increments from, like, 2 inches all the way up to 12 inches. So literally, you could have your hose bib shut off 12 inches inside your house. That's a long distance, and it's really going to prevent those freezes. So you can learn more on their website. If you Google Aqua, you'll find them right away. Check out my other build shows. With that being said, live from the Rockwell Studios in Austin, Texas, let's get going.
1: So, Tim, how are we going to talk about this today?
2: Well, it's a common theme among the entire industry, dealing with clients and what they expect of us. Um, I think there are a lot of aspects that we need to consider today. Um, I guess... The broadest statement is that most clients come to us with some notions or ideas or expectations already set from television shows they watched or people they've talked to or prior experiences that they've had that aren't necessarily rooted in reality that fit our end of the industry or our type of home building model. And so... <clears throat> First and foremost, we have to understand what they believe already and what they expect or are looking for. And that's a whole information gathering process that we have to go through in asking questions and getting to know them and understanding their project, their wants, their desires, uh, and understanding the rest of their team if they've already dis- assembled, uh, architect, interior designer, what. What kind of project is it looking like? Uh, before we commit to too much, once we have that information, then we're better prepared to begin to set their expectations and teach them or educate them as to how the process works.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I think one of the things that you and I have always been fond about saying is that it's an education process that we go through with a person who. We hope to become our client, right? Sometimes in the education process, we find out that for a lot of reasons, maybe it's not a good match. And sometimes you have to be upfront about that because it saves us a little bit of time and it's also going to save them time. Right. And, uh, and it's hard to figure that out. Uh, when you meet so many different people, who are contacting us because they want a custom home built.
2: That's right. And I think we have to be sensitive to the fact that it's a journey Mm -hmm. for them. It's not an information dump in the first meeting in either direction. We're not going to find out everything we need to know at the first meeting. We're not going to give them all the information we want them to have in the first meeting, but it's, It's establishing a communication level uh, with any given client, and they're all different. They all require tailoring your presentation or your interaction accordingly. And I think we uh, sometimes get over anxious to get them on our side of the table and believing the way we think they should believe too quickly without carefully. Uh, showing them or guiding them through it and through that process.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that's interesting also is that sometimes there's a third party that is uh, making the connection. Like, for example, when we get a call from an architect uh, who says, I have a client and you're one of the builders I would like to interview for this project. So that's one way projects come in here. Right and so that's kind of interesting one of the it, it almost makes you feel like you get one one hour meeting and that there's going to be other people sitting in the entry hall with you at the architect's office and then they're going to go in and they get to pitch their deal and i remember uh six seven years ago uh we went to one and i uh i was keeping my mouth shut and uh I observed what I call the "show up and throw up" scenario, <laughs> which is the builder walks in and starts talking. And I walked out of that meeting. I said, "No, no, 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 no. Ask questions. Get information.
2: Right? Asking questions is one of the best sales tools there are available to us. It really is. And it makes people feel like you're interested in them and interested in their project. Um, and that it, it in in doing that. Uh, it uh, gains a sense of trust uh, between you and them. And that's the first step in getting true feedback and true information from them is that trust. Otherwise, they're likely to tell you what they only want you to know.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Um, And until you uh, are able to sell them on your ability to understand them and their project, they won't ever trust you to the point where you'll get real, accurate information.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, this is about managing client expectations. That's right. Well, you can't manage it if you don't know what they are. That's right. And and so you have to go through a discovery process. That's the questions. And and I almost like to tell them that up front that that we thrive on information. This is, uh, and, and one of the things you said as you and I were kind of uh, preparing for this podcast today and discussing it is you talked about people's background and experience and that that's going to really be a predicate for the first meeting. So if you have somebody that thinks of uh, buying a home or buying a, a, a custom build job for a, for a home or a, a significant remodel, if they kind of relate that to being a commodity, then they're going to send you certain signals and they're going to say things a certain way. I call it the government procurement officer <laughs> approach. Uh, we get a lot of, a lot of times people uh, will, will send an email in because of our social media presence or they'll respond to something and they'll send something in and they'll say, I need three bids. You're one of them. <laughs> and we're like... Oh, wow. We're going to really have to we're, going to, we're going to start this drive from in the end zone. Maybe the one yard line is where the first snap's going to happen. Right. And then you have, on the other side of that, you have people from the service industry who really quickly identify that a custom home builder is really in the service business. And I think you do a great job of, of, of proving that point.
2: Well, I, I think that's what we do. I mean, that's the, the, the pure definition of a true custom home builder is is executing a plan that's created by a team. And so this team of designers and owners and contractors uh, is charged with uh, assembling a cost-effective way to execute uh, a plan of action to, to build a one-of-a-kind home. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a unique process. It's not a manufacturing process that's replicated over and over again. It's done one time. It's a, Every house is a prototype, so to speak. And therefore, it has to be looked at as a service and provided as a service. And so those clients that look at it as a commodity need to go out and buy us back home. That's, that's what I guess... If you can't convince them otherwise, that's the way we should steer them is to uh, look for a home that's that's already done and they know everything about it and they know everything uh, that it includes. And that translates to a dollar amount with a market value. Um, What we do is. Make a lot of assumptions based on the things we know and the things we don't know. Uh, that's part of the plan the, the design and we allow for those unknowns based on experience the jobs that we've done in the past and come up with a plan that generally is fairly accurate uh financially and and uh schedule wise to to perform it uh, once people understand that and they have been in the service industry and they understand that service is is Provided over time based on need, um, then I think they get the process. But it, sometimes it's a journey to get them there.
1: Mm-hmm. And you know, I think uh, I think there's a couple of, of circumstances that that cause a lot of this. The first is, and it's uh, I I know that it takes a long time to get people's heads wrapped around this. In, in the United States, homes somehow have become not just a place to live, but they're also an investment. And those are kind of competing interests, if you think about it. Yeah, they are. And, and so when we have, uh, I would say more often than not, our potential client is always struggling with that. Uh, particularly because they don't build houses all the time. And their expectations of the cost of building a home, if they have any expectations at all, are usually set by the production home builder market and real estate. And in the real estate industry, people talk about conditioned square feet. Many times the first contact question is, what's your price per square foot? And, um, you know, there's a lot of ways to answer that question.
2: (laughs) I I don't even know on our end of the industry if it's relevant or even answerable because it depends. I mean, we often give clients early on a broad range of pricing uh, uh, possibilities Mm -hmm. based on assumptions of if this is a home that's that's. It's got all the things that it needs to have, but it's finished out modestly and the architecture is somewhat straightforward and not complex, then there's a lower range that you could spend. Or if you want to do a very unique, one-of-a-kind, high-achieving architecture with high-end finishes, that's another end of the spectrum. And those can vary by a 100%. Um, so I think that's... Just another part of the journey that you have to take people on to show them that there is no such thing as a set cost per square foot for any uh, builder who's providing a service. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're building 20 or 50 or 100 spec homes in a new community and there are three floor plans that you choose from and you get to choose from these three tiles and these three carpet samples, then, yeah, I can price that out to you as a commodity. But that's not what we do.
1: No. Yeah. And and I do think that um, I know people come to us because they've heard about us and uh, they're hopeful that we'll build uh, a a good product for them. But when we talk about managing customer expectations, there's really uh, we ought to this almost ought to be a multi chapter book. There is the initial courtship, which is where we go into an education mode to try to get them to become more comfortable with uh, with the issues of what are the, what's going to be the cost, what's going to be the schedule, what are the the critical things that have to be accomplished before we ever break ground, and, um, and a lot of times we have to take people on on quite a lot of. Uh, information exchange type meetings. We take them to see houses that are under construction and we're learning about them and, and what we, they value.
2: And we let them talk to clients that we've worked for. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, we've learned that that's probably the most valuable educational process is if you have clients that trust you and that really love you, think you're you're, you're really servicing their needs well, they can be your best resource to help educate future clients when it comes to this is this is what they can provide for you. This is the experience that we had and it was an enjoyable experience, it was predictable, uh, it was tangible, and we love the end result. People hear that and they become your follower. They will believe what you tell them, they will take your advice, and that's the kind of client we want. Mm-hmm. Somebody who trusts us, somebody that listens to us, and somebody that will follow our guidance to look out after their best interests. Now, that's not to say that we don't give the proper respect to the design professionals. It's it's their concept. It's, it's, the, it's the combination of their vision and the client's vision that create the project. We just want to give them real-time feedback and guidance into the best, most valuable way to execute it. Mm-hmm.
1: And I think if I were to summarize, uh, chapter one of the book, which is when we first meet up and let's say chapter one is all about how we get to the starting line. Okay. That means that we're exchanging a lot of information and we're trying to learn about what they want. Uh, there's not any way that you can really, for, let's take, for example, cabinetry. If you're building a, uh, a modern, complex, beautiful home uh, with significant architecture. Uh, There's a a huge variation in what cabinetry could cost for that home. You could even use more expensive cabinets in certain rooms than you use in other rooms. Even the finishes of the cabinets, the hardware of the cabinet. Just this one topic can have significant cost variation in it. And going in to pricing this, uh, you know, giving a, a cost estimate, we don't know what they want. Right. And, and generally, there's not enough in the plans and specifications. So, so there's a, an entire set of things that are associated with uh, an information exchange. But what we're really trying to, to learn is what their values are. You know what is it that they're really excited about the project? What are they trying to accomplish on it?
2: Right, and I think you're you're exactly right. Our ability to to give them what they want is a function of our understanding of their vision. The more we understand their vision, the more we can anticipate how they're going to finish the cabinets, what kind of hardware they're going to choose, uh, what's this going to look like. Uh, are we going to have unique products that have to be ordered nine months in advance? Uh, all those things. And that's just part of the journey. Um, but it does take gaining their trust to get there. Um, you know, one one thing I think that we're, we're, we're dancing around that needs to be distilled out of the conversation is the proper way to communicate. It, there's this message that we want to get across, and it's, Many chapters of the same book, as you say, Um, but we can't just show up and throw up. We have to uh, communicate this over a number of meetings in a number of different locations and different settings with different people involved so that the information is given to them in a relevant, timely manner, but not too much too soon because it gets confusing and the one thing you don't want is a client that becomes scared or nervous about the project or process because it's too complicated. They can't wrap their arms around it. Mm -hmm. So you have to give it to them in an organized way, uh, the relevant parts first um, so that they feel confident that you understand it. They don't have to understand it to the level of detail that you do, but that you have your you have it you you understand it well enough. You're going to look out after them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that in itself is 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 hard to explain. It's almost something you have to learn by experience over time. The best way to communicate all the information over that run up dance that courting mm-hmm. courtship period. Uh, When you're getting to know clients, getting to know their project, before you sign a contract, before you break ground, what is all that process communication that you have to do? And we always say around here, communicate often and early. Mm -hmm. So you tell them things early on and communicate often. But I find that people generally, after an hour meeting, their eyes will glaze over. And they quit receiving information they just don't hear it anymore Mm -hmm. so plan not plan on having meetings that are an hour or less uh and have it organized have an agenda if you need to uh, share that agenda with design professionals that are going to be present so they can have input and add their agenda items on it um but each one of those meetings is critical to get the information that you need and get the small amount of information back to the client and the design professionals that they need. Mm
1: -hmm. So if we divide this up into pre-construction and then construction and then commissioning, let's just look at those three, and we talk about managing and meeting client expectations. Uh, I spend a lot of time on the pre-construction side, Basically, I interview most everyone that comes through the front door or comes in via email or phone call and uh, spend a lot of time trying to figure out if, you know, if we should invest heavily in working with this client. Mm -hmm. And I'm really trying to, I'm not only trying to save us time, I'm trying to save them time. And so there's many questions that we have to get answered as we go through that process, but sometimes the questions are a little personal. You know, it's like, are you going to finance it or are you going to pay cash?
2: Right. Uh, and what is your budget? That's another big question.
1: Well, yeah. And, and people sometimes are concerned about that question because, uh, some people don't have a budget. They have a desire and what they want. And, they're lucky enough to be able to buy what they want. And so that's one type of buyer. You don't see those that often. Almost everybody has a budget. Even if they don't have a budget, you know, if they want to spend two and a half million, but they could spend three million, but they want to spend two and a half, well, that's good to know. Um, because our service is to try to deliver against what they want. Sometimes, though, in the phase one, the pre-construction phase, we have to gather information and then we have to deliver the news that what you want is unlikely going to materialize at that, inside that budget envelope. And then that begs a different question on the expectation side. And that is, is that because we're too expensive or is that because what they want can't be achieved in that price range. And it's kind of six of one and half dozen of the other. How do you answer that question? You know, because we also have a certain standard that we want to build a house to. And so we're not gonna we're not gonna just take cost out of the house in order to meet a budget expectation if we think that that would no longer be a house that we'd be proud to build.
2: Or or would make them happy.
1: Well, yeah. that's what we're assuming. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I
2: think, um, of course, in all this entire conversation, one of the underlying skills is tact. Mm-hmm. You, you got a lot of information to give, but there's a certain way that you have to give it. And if someone has an unrealistic budget expectation, you can't just say that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> you, you got you got to explain to them. You know here here's what our experience shows us. Uh, here's the last five projects that we've done, and they range from here to here. And and that would tell us that based on what you're saying uh, and, and the certain market conditions that exist now, that the price range for your house should be more in line with this. And so, and that range is generally fairly big, so they understand that, you know, you might be able to get close to their budget if they really are limiting their expectations. But if they really want everything they want, they can see it's gonna cost them substantially more. And I think um, that is another thing that just takes practice. It takes uh, doing it over and over again to understand what people respond to and what works best. And then that presentation will eventually become something that we all know how to do well. It just takes time.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing that uh, I'd ask our clients to understand is how different every one of them is. They range from the kind of the, I'm thinking of my house as an investment. I want to know that I'm making a wise purchase uh, all the way over to, I'm just trying to establish that you're a qualified, capable builder. And... I have trust and confidence in you, and if I think I've once I've established that between us, I've got really a high level of confidence in in moving forward with the project, right? Regardless of what the number is or what what the final estimate is, and we try to design that to to be a. Uh, a process that is collaborative with them and their design professionals.
2: I think that's right. And we, I would say at least half of the people that come to us really struggle with that fundamental question of how much should I put into this project? Mm -hmm. And it's not so much they're looking at as an investment, although it's, I guess that's the underlying value proposition that they're struggling with is so in this neighborhood, I don't want to overbill for the neighborhood in case I have to sell it next year. I might have to lose money on it. That's mm-hmm. kind of what's in the back of their mind. Or if they're doing a big remodel, can I put a million dollars in this house? And if I have to sell in a year, can I get that money back out? So we have to recognize that that is real for them. And we have to explain to them, listen, if you're going to be here five, ten years, appreciation generally will absorb anything that you do, And you know, and, and, and if you really do something that wouldn't be absorbed by that appreciation, you probably don't care because it's so much outside the realm of of what everyone else is doing in this neighborhood uh, that you probably have the money to deal with it either way. But if it's a concern to you, then that's sort of what we guide people to understand that if they're staying there for five or ten years, there's a there's a there's a huge cushion or flexibility of what they can invest in their home and i say invest that's the way they're looking at it but the reality is that i think globally i mean if it, in global thinking um homes as you say are not really an investment i mean we 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 buy a home we build a home uh we we remodel a home and we've got equity in it but we're not going to sell it and then go live in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. We're going to sell it and then we're going to buy another home. And whatever we're going to buy has appreciated generally equally to whatever we're selling. And so it's just rolling money from one project or one home into another home. Um, So it's not really like an asset that you have in the bank that you're looking to get a certain rate of return on and then you're going to retire on that. Because even in retirement, you You're going to have somewhere. to have dwelling, yeah. right? You're going to have to have habitat. And people you know, in this country, uh, the vast majority of um, people's assets are tied up in their homes. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not a usable asset that's, that only provides shelter. And it might as well provide shelter that provides for your family and your comfort, uh, performs well, has a low cost of maintenance, a low cost of operation. Holds up well. Holds up well. Durable. That in itself is an asset. People and
1: it's healthy. And, that's right. And and you really enjoy living there. I mean, think of all the things you do in your home that are so important to you. And 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 not having it done right is wrong.
2: Right. <laughs> I would I would much rather people look at homes and housing as a, a long term cost of use that's probably the better financial model to analyze what you should and shouldn't do is what it costs you on a monthly or yearly basis to live there, mm-hmm. right? And, and that can vary tremendously depending on you know, what you build or how you build it, um, how it performs, um, and is not as impacted as much by what you spend up front on it as you might think. Mm-hmm.
1: So as we talk about client expectations... I would like to close out chapter one here, pre-construction this way. We're trying to get information. We want to understand you and your goals and objectives about the project. There are no wrong answers that you are giving us. The reason we're asking all those questions is to be more precise about our answers to your questions. and. It's, it's not a game. It's not a sales process. If if you're very cost-focused, we need more information than you can possibly imagine. If you're uh, very, say, qu- high-end quality or you want to build something that's really significant architecture, um, sometimes that's going to be, you know, then what we ought to be talking about is our ability to execute. And you ought to be t- seeing projects that we built that are that, uh, to to form your own opinion about our skills as home builders. That's right. So I just don't want, uh, in terms of the client's expectation, in the pre-construction process, from the initial meeting until ground is broken, what we're trying to do is, is solve as many of the issues that the client raises as concerns, and to answer as many of their questions as best we can. And that's why probably the single most helpful thing to us is just give us the answers to those questions that we have, right? Give us all your information, like plans, where it's going to be. uh, But even more in specifications, And then anything else that you think could help us, all that is going to help us. And then when we ask, like, for example, the budget question, we have to ask the budget question. We're asking the budget question so that we know whether or not we can meet your need in that regard. So if you give us too low a number, we're going to ultimately come back and tell you, well, that's too low and we can't do it for that. And here's why. And... uh, then you have to, as a client, on the expectation side, you have to answer that question to yourself: Is that because we think this is too expensive a builder? But let's explore that last topic because that has to be on people's mind. Um, home building is not a uh, particularly building custom homes where you you know you're doing five or ten projects. You know some of them are big remodels. This is not a, a business where you're printing lots of money. It's not a giant income business. Uh, yeah, we make a, a, a nice living. Uh, when times are really good, maybe you make a tiny bit more, but it's we haven't adjusted our pricing. Our pricing as a cost plus builder is adjusted by the cost of the product we're delivering. Right. Um, but anyway, that's why we're asking those questions. We're asking those questions in order to Try to answer your questions, Mr. Client and our Mrs. Client. Yeah,
2: and, and I think to, to sum that up, I, I, the way I like to think about it is <clears throat> that people will come around to you and your model and your process if you can have have as an objective creating a team environment. Mm -hmm. So when they observe that you and the design professionals are working together as a team and they are part of that team, the cost of that implementation of that plan becomes a team result. It becomes a result of the collaboration of that group, including the owners, clients. And once they see that they have just as much, if not more, decision-making ability and impact into that plan then whatever the cost is is a product of their decisions and they get that so it's not like you're an adversary in a process of trying to achieve a goal by negotiation it's a process of creating and implementing a plan that both parties have created and the end result is teamwork that's a much better much more satisfactory result in the long run. Mm -hmm. And through that process, you create a cadence of communication between the team that carries on into construction, good segue into the second chapter, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that allows for that continued success of implementing the plan. Mm -hmm. And any deviations in the schedule or any deviations in the budget or estimate are a team decision. It's a, it's a result of the team's effort to implement the plan.
1: Or an external factor. That's right. That was unanticipated.
2: And the team sees that because they're intimately familiar with, the, familiar with the plan, and so they see if there's something that comes along. That's why we put contingency in there. That's why you hired us, to anticipate that those things are going to happen. And that's why we can absorb this unexpected problem, because we anticipated
1: it. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to close out that chapter with one more comment on cost. The other thing that I like to tell our clients is that the other responsibility that we hold very dear to ourselves is we want to build them a good home. And it's our job to not let them take too much cost out of it. Uh, I got a, I had a call from an MBA class at New York university. And they wanted to talk to a home builder and I guess they found us on social media. The very first question they said is, houses are too expensive, people can't afford them. How can we take cost out of building houses? And I told them, I said, wrong question. (laughs) First, we need to decide how do we build housing for people? And how do we build good quality homes for people? And people need to decide where to intercept that cost envelope. So one of the things that I view as our job is to focus on the, the, the mechanical, the electrical, the, 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 the plumbing systems, the framing, the foundation. All of these things have to be done well because really what you're building is a container for the client's personalization of their home. And one of the things I think we've done a, a good job of is become experts in the container. If you build a good container, finishes come and go, right? I, mean, I read an article uh, to my wife today about how there's a pandemic-era house, which is thick reveals in black on windows. <laughs> <laughs> and anybody that's got that, that's that's now dead. We've moved on from black windows that are really thick on houses. Um uh, and, and Modern Farmhouse, uh, somebody put a bullet in that like six weeks ago in the design community. So finishes are gonna come and go. Floor plans, whether it's open or chopped up or whatever, all those are styles that are gonna come and go. But what uh, one of our things that we take so seriously is really to build, not overbuild it, not over-engineer it, but to deliver them a high quality container for that home. And uh, and that's our responsibility because we're the experts in that. And so we're putting in place when we build their budget, the the monies necessary to make sure that container is well-built, durable, healthy, uh, and is gonna provide a lifetime of service and enjoyment. Right. right. So, Customer expectations during construction.
2: Well, I I think that's, you know. (laughs) This is
1: a big one.
2: It is, but it's a continuation of the same. And I think the the, the great benefit to Chapter 1's process and journey is that it sets us up for success during construction. And without a good plan, without good communication, and without a good team, there is no condition that will yield a great result. Mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine making clients happy, building a, a, a beautiful product that performs really well that you're really proud of, without having those things in place first. Mm-hmm. It's and if if you if you were able or able to achieve uh, achieve it, it would it would be an anomaly. Um, so, assuming that you're successful in establishing all those things during pre-construction. Construction is, is simply a matter of implementing process and communicating it regularly. And that means weekly, if, if not biweekly meetings with client and design professionals to review progress, review future work that's coming up in the near future, uh, outstanding issues, uh, requests for information, uh selections um additional design team professionals that will need to be brought on uh, if they haven't already like landscape architecture or um pool builder pool builder whatever um so i i think that that's a fairly easy topic to address if you've established all those things in pre-construction so i like to think in our model that our success is determined before we break
1: ground. Mm-hmm. I know. Uh, I, I'm going to argue with you on that, though, because one of the things that gets really interesting to me from time to time is the nature of construction is it's sequential. There are things that you can accomplish in parallel, but we also have a position that You know, if you have too many trades working on the job site, they're bumping into each other. They're tearing up each other's work. It gets confusing. And um, so scheduling out this sequential workflow, and then there's interruptions to it. So here's an example. We're ready to do the tile in the bathrooms and in the kitchen if there's a tile backsplash. We're doing tile. And we have a guy that does tile that we have confidence in. We feel like he knows how to do it and we're ready to do it, but he's delayed for two weeks because he's on another project. And there's a few things we could be getting done here on the house, but there's not necessarily, I mean, we're ready for it. And so the client sees a two week delay. And if, uh, you know, particularly in the environment that we're in today, which is there's so much building and there's such big labor shortages and we're all fighting our way through that. that uh, we just—it's—it's—it's it's, it's difficult to 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 have the client observe that without having prepared them for it. And the 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 other so so scheduled delays, uh, and and during COVID, I mean, it was ridiculous what happened to our schedules. Also, materials being late there's many things that are adding up to what the client ultimately sees as a schedule delay. And they wanna know that we're heavily engaged on trying to fight our way through all those problems, and we are. But they're also, uh, most of our clients are outcome-based people, Right. You know? It's like, That's right. well, we appreciate the fact you worked real hard to not get it done in time. <laughs> Let's talk about the fact it wasn't done in time, right. okay?
2: And, and, and hopefully during pre-construction you've had an opportunity to explain to them how the construction process itself works and what where the pitfalls are going to be and, and what the likelihood of those things happening are so that when it does happen they're a little bit aware of it. But part of the answer to your question is not only a different chapter but a different book and that's project management. We'll probably have a podcast on that sometime okay. in the near future too. But um, I will say that We really need to struggle or we really need to work hard to let clients know that during construction, um, there are going to be material shortages. There are going to be uh, labor shortages. When when I first started in this industry in the 79, 1980 era, we had subcontractors lined up in the street, sitting in their trucks, waiting on their turn to get into the job and do their part. It was there was that little amount of work and that many trades out there wanting to work mm-hmm. or, or fight for that work. Now it's the opposite. We'll wait two or three weeks for somebody to show up that we really need bad. And and there's not necessarily anybody to replace them at any cost. Mm-hmm. So um, whether it's and, and, and particularly trade professionals, electricians, plumbers, air conditioning contractors, those people, um, they are all overwhelmed with work and i think i feel sorry for them if they're not the best run businesses if they're not if they're not highly skilled business professionals not just talking about their trade but talking about being able to run a business if they're not good at it this uh economic uh, challenge will put them under and it has put a number of them under
1: well, and that's what we're working on right now. That, that's the biggest struggle we're, we're facing. Right. But the overall problem that we expose our clients to during the construction phase is dominated by three areas of, of significant interest to all of us. Quality, schedule, and cost. And anything that happens in, during this phase can generally have an impact on one or more of those areas. Uh, Sometimes there are mistakes. And and I think that's one of the things that I really want to help with expectation setting. We are not perfect. We strive for that. But, um, you know, it's like we talk about the fact we could put a project manager behind every tradesperson on a project. What would that be like?
2: <laughs>
1: would that really reduce all the errors? Probably. Uh, what would it cost? Right. Not affordable.
2: Right. And, and the other thing, I mean, I've thought about the extreme of this. Let's say we had a very complex project and we wanted to make it a perfect job. Now, there's no such thing as a perfect job, as everyone knows, but let's assume that that was the goal. That would mean that you don't proceed to the next step until everything on the previous step is done perfectly, Right that job would take so long to implement that the products and practices already implemented would begin to deteriorate before you could get them covered up and complete it. So then it would no longer be a perfect job. So there is no such thing, but it's, it's a goal. We wanted to make it as perfect as we can, as, as error free as we can. Um, Certainly there are a lot of practices that we have and code requirements that we have to keep those projects from failing from having construction defects so that they perform right, provide shelter and habitat for people who live there. But we want them to endure. We want them to be resilient, as we've talked about in the past, and, and last and be easy to maintain and have low cost of ownership. Um, so there is that, you know, that the result of all of our efforts and hard work is, is the best combination of those three things, schedule, budget, and quality. And we're not going to be perfect at any one of those. There's trade-offs. That's right. But we want to maximize the amount of each that we can. Mm
1: -hmm. And then we come to the last phase, commissioning, which some people call punch. Right. We like to call it commissioning. And no matter how often we talk to our clients about this, we tell them every time, it's going to take six months to a year to, to really finalize it all. Whether it's parts that were late that we did a workaround on, uh, whether it's uh, heck, houses get damaged when people move into them, right. Also, people begin to discover things that we didn't discover. and that's not necessarily a defect. You know It's like that air conditioning uh, register it's a little bit, it's a little noisy, you know, or well, you're, the room's a little warm.
2: The clients are taking the house on a test pilot run.
1: There you go. That's the way to say it. They're
2: the test pilots, and that first 30 days, they're going to discover things that perform well and things that need adjustment. And so I like to think of this commissioning, and I do urge our listeners to consider changing the verbiage that they use with clients and other professionals. Punch does not make sense as a term in the way we use it today, right? It's not just paint touch-ups and doorknob adjustments. It's, it's actually fine-tuning the home to what it ultimately can be. When we finish a home, it may be 99% finished and people move into it. Now, let's take that last 1%. Over the first week, we'll get 90% of that 1% done. Over the next week or two or three, we'll get 90% of that 0.1% done. And then over the next six months, we'll get, of that 0.001% left, okay? And all of that is the seasonal adjustment that the house needs to settle into as the clients begin to use it. And so if you built and finished it in the summer, in the middle of the winter, that's going to be a different house and it's going to be using different systems and performing differently than it did six months earlier. That needs to be adjusted and fine-tuned. So commissioning is a long process. And we like to tell clients that we keep coming back until you get tired of us and tell us not to. That's the goal. Mm -hmm. Because the house needs that continual fine-tuning to make it what it can be. And after the first year, that house is as good as it's ever going to be.
1: And we have a project manager whose whole job is commissioning. That's right. And we take that project manager that rammed that construction project through and we move them on to another one. And we take our commissioning project manager and put them on the job because it's a different set of skills. It's a lot of scheduling. It's dealing with the client's schedule. Right. When can they have that work done? Um, and hopefully by that point in time, there's also super high levels of, of trust and confidence in each other. And so we're able to, to move through it pretty smoothly. Right. Um, well, how do we want to start how do we want to sum this up? I mean, we talk about, and and this topic today is managing client expectations. And I think that what we're not talking about is the dysfunctional aspect. In other words, when we say managing client expectations, what we're talking about is how do we educate and communicate with the client frequently enough so that they don't become alarmed or concerned, and instead are very comfortable with what's going on. Well, I mean, I, and that, that's what hits their expectations.
2: That's right. And I think it's hard for us to sit here and tell young professionals, young contractors, that it may be incredibly good at their technical understanding of home building and their grasp of the mechanics of it. and and explain to them how they can communicate and how they can sell and how they can ask questions and it be an effective way of establishing a relationship with a potential client and their design team. That's a learned skill. And and I think there are lots of training programs that you could go through to, to, to try to improve your communication skills and your presentation and your ability to glean information in the right way. But ultimately, it's trial and error. I mm-hmm. think it's something you just have to work through. If you don't feel like you're ever really going to be great at it because it's not in your personality, then partner with somebody who is. I mean, that's the way most successful home building companies are, are really growing today, is they take different people with different skill sets, put them together as a team. Everybody performs at their maximum based on what they are best at. And that's I think that's what we do here. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we have... Three or four of us who work together to to um, uh, create client expectations and, and uh, build great products and make people happy. Uh, but it takes the three or four different skill sets that we all bring to the table to pull it off.
1: Yeah, and we actually enjoy that. Yeah, yeah. we do. Well, so when I think about these client expectations, if I could set a client's expectation, what I would do is I would say, if you work with us and we really become a team together, we, sit, we use this term all the time. Our objective, you can't do this on day one, but our objective is to be a trusted advisor. Our objective is to be on the same side of the table. This is not an adversarial relationship. And if you have that, and that endures throughout the project, and to that we add our skills as builders, and some of the advanced techniques that we try to bring to bear on our projects, you can have, uh, the expectation I want our clients to have is they can have a different experience building a home. It can be a good experience. They're gonna have a home that they will love. They will have a home that they put their personal imprint on and that we helped them do that. And when that home performs really, really well, over a long amount of time not just the uh not just the pop when it's finished you know and the paint's fresh and everything but i'm talking about just year in year out uh, mechanical systems that keep you comfortable and healthy uh, systems that aren't failing that aren't needing tremendous amounts of maintenance you really can have a good experience you can have a good outcome and it's as much on them as it is on us we have to figure out how to work together and if we do it'll be a great experience
2: yeah well said well said
1: so that's our objective there you go and uh and so when you have those early meetings that's what's really going on we're figuring out can we all work together yeah yeah that's true it's hard though yeah it's really hard well, I think that's uh, Tim. Do you have anything you want to close with?
2: I think I think we've covered it all, and you know, it's it's all related to the other topics that we talk about all the time. I'm, I'm sure that we'll get into uh, some or all of these a little bit in depth at some point in the future. But I think we've covered it all.
1: Well, we'll turn it back over to Matt here, but we will give you uh, one little highlight. Something that's been on Tim and I's mind, uh, and uh, we've been doing a little, giving a little more thought to it. Is, how to pick a builder. And uh, that's something that I think, uh, and we were talking with Matt the other day and he, he's he got some interest in that too. I, it's not clear to me that people uh, know how to pick a builder. So I think we need to spend some time on that one next. That sounds great. Thanks, Tim.
0: All right, thank you, Steve. Steve, Tim, I can't thank you guys enough for taking the time to talk to us about customer expectations. This is a super valuable episode. Guys, if you're not currently a subscriber, hit that subscribe button below. You know we've got new podcasts coming out every single Friday. This is season two, and I've heard from so many of you that this is a valuable addition to your commutes, to your office, to your job site. So I really appreciate that feedback. Guys, hit that subscribe button. New content every Friday. Follow me on Twitter or Instagram. Otherwise, we'll see you next time
1: on The Build
0: Show podcast.